Chapter thirty nine of The Maid of Scar. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Maid of Scar by R. D. Blackmore. Chapter thirty nine Notice to Quit. We were now come to the time of year which all good Christians celebrate by goodwill and festivities even i in my humble way had made some preparation for this holy period by shooting farmer badcock's goose which had long been in my mind upon plucking he turned out even whiter and better than expectation and the tender down clung to him in a way that showed his texture i hung him up in a fine through draught and rejoiced in the thought of him every time my head came in between his legs neither did he fall away when he came to roasting but when i had put him down upon the christmas morning with intent to stick thereby and baste him up to one o'clock dipping bits of bread beneath him as he might begin to drip and winning thus foretaste of him all my plans were overset by a merry party coming and demanding fairy with my lovely goose beginning just to spread his skin a little and hiss sweetly at the fire up i ran with resolution not to ferry anybody but to cook my goose aright nevertheless it might not be so here were three young fellows ramping of the high nobility swearing to come aboard and stick me if i would not ferry them it was not that i feared of this but that i beheld a guinea spinning in the morning sun which compelled me to forego and leave my poor young goose to roll around and try to roast himself therefore i backed him from the fire and laid half a pound of slow lard on his breast and trusted his honour to keep alive these young joyous fellows were now awake to everything they had begun the morning bravely with a cup of rum and lemon then a tender grill of beef and a quart of creamy ale every one accordingly and they meant to keep the day up to no less a pattern being all of fine old birth and bound to act accordingly however it had been said by some one that they ought to go to church and they happened to feel the strength of this and vowed that the devil should catch the hindmost unless they struck out for it hence i came to win the pleasure of their company that day their nearest church was the little simple quiet old church at ashford from my ferry i could see it and it often made me sigh because it looked so tranquil sweet green land sloped up towards it with a trace of crooked footpaths and the nicks of elbowed hedges where the cows came down and stood also from it looking downward through the valley of the taw may be seen a spread of beauty and of soft variety and of largeness opening larger with the many winding waters to the ocean unbeheld that the sternest man must sigh and look again and look again a genuine parson now was master of this queer old quiet church a man who gave his life entire for the good of other men in a little hut he lived which the clerk's house overrode just at the turning of the lane upon the steep ascent and where the thunder showers flooded it 
all the poor folk soon began to dwell upon his noble nature and to feel that here was someone fit to talk of saviours miles around they came to hear him so that he was forced to stand on a stool in the porch and speak to them for speaking it was and not preaching which made all the difference these three gay young sparks leaped lightly into the bow of my ferry-boat and bade me pull for my very life unless i desired to be flung into the water then and there a strong spring tide was running up and i was forced to pull the starboard oar with all my might to keep the course my passengers were carrying on with every sort of quip and crank and jokes that made the boat to tilt when suddenly a rush of water flooded their silk stockings i thought at first that the bung was out and told them not to be frightened but in another breath i saw that it was a great deal worse than that the water was rushing in through a mighty hole in the planks of the larboard bow and in three minutes we must be swamped all aft all aft in a moment i cried it is our only chance of reaching shore the gallants were sobered at once by fright and i bundled them into the stern sheets sat on the aftmost thwart myself and for the lives of us all pulled back towards the bank we had lately quitted by casting all the weight thus astern i raised the leak up to the water-line except when we plunged to the lift of the oars and the water poured in less rapidly now with the set of the tide on our starboard beam however with all this and all my speed and my passengers showing great presence of mind we barely managed to touch the bank and jump out when down she foundered at first i was at a loss altogether even to guess how this thing had happened for the boat seemed perfectly sound and dry at the time of our leaving the shore but as soon as the tide was out and i could get at her i perceived that a trick of entirely fiendish cunning and atrocity had been played upon me a piece of planking a foot in length and from eight to ten inches wide had been cut out with a keyhole saw at the time she was lying high and dry and doubtless before daybreak this had been then replaced most carefully with a little caulking so that it was water-tight without strong pressure from outside but the villain had contrived it knowing in what state of tide i was likely next to work the ferry so that the rush of water could not fail to beat the piece in it made my blood run cold to think of the stealthiness of this attempt as well as the skill it was compassed with for the chances were ten to one almost in favour of its drowning me and leaving a bad name behind me too for having drowned my passengers and to this it must have come if so much as a single woman had been in the boat that day for these when in danger always do the very worst thing possible and the manager of this clever scheme knew of course that my freight was likely on the christmas morning to be chiefly female luckily i had refused two boatloads of young and attractive womankind not from religious feeling only but because i had to chop a trencher full of stuffing this affair impressed me so with a sense of awe and reverence and a certainty that parson chowne must be in direct receipt of counsel 
from the evil one that my mind was good to be off at once and thank the lord for escaping him for let us see what must have happened but for the goodness and fatherly care of a merciful providence over me the boat would have sunk in the very midst of the rapid and icy river david llewellyn with his accustomed fortitude would have endeavoured to swim ashore and yet could not have resisted the claims of three or even four young women who doubtless would have laid hold of him all screaming splashing and dragging him down the mind refuses to contemplate such a picture any longer this matter could not be kept quiet as the first attempt had been but spread from house to house and gained in size from each successive tongue until the man at the foot of the bridge who naturally detested me whispered into every ear that it was high time to have a care of that interloping welshman who had drowned six fine young noblemen for the sake of their buckles and watches and my courage was at so low an ebb that when he retreated into his house i could not even bring my mind to the power of kicking his door in hence that calumny not being quenched went the round of the neighbourhood and i might as well haul down my sign and the hopes of any public-house became a fading vision and of all the fine young women who had set their hearts upon keeping it as i described my intention to them and who had picked up bits of welsh for an access to my heart in all its patriotism there was not one worth looking at or fit to be a landlady who took the trouble to come near me in the frosty weather when a man is forsaken by the world he must have recourse to reason and if only borne up thereby and with a little cash in hand he can wait till the world comes round again this was my position now i never had behaved so well in all my life before i think though always conscientious but of late i had felt as it were in one perpetual round of bitter wrestling with the evil one men of a loose kind may not see that this was tenfold hard upon me from my props being knocked away i mean my entire trust and leaning upon the ancient church of england which perhaps by repulsion from those fellows that came after our old ham as well as our proper parson's knowledge of souls and the way to fry them had increased upon me so that my heart leaped up whenever i heard the swing of a bell on sunday some of this perhaps was owing to my thoughts of newton clock and twelve shillings now due to me from my captainship thereof but how could this loyal and ecclesiastical fervour thrive while a man in holy orders did such unholy things to me the only one with faith enough and sense enough to stand by me now through this bitter trial was that beautiful young lady whom i did admire so and if till now i admired only now i did adore her nanette did for herself with me and all her hopes of ever being mrs david llewellyn by poking up her little toes and i saw that they were all square almost and with guttural noises crying that on board my boat she would not dare miss carey laughed at her and stepped with her beautiful boots on board of me and from that moment she might do exactly as she pleased with me however my fairy was knocked on the head and all the hopes of a wife and family and even a public-house in skittles which i had been long building up as well as to train our bunny for barmaid which must always be done quite young to get the proper style of it 
and thorough acquaintance with measures how to make them look quite brim up when they are only three parts full all golden dreams will vanish thus no life of smiling boniface but of gun muzzles was before me no casting up of shot by pence but ramming down on pounds of powder let that pass my only wish is to conceal in the strictest manner little trifles about myself isabel carey was so shocked at hearing of our danger as by me distinctly told without a word of flourish that she made me promise strongly to give up my ferrying this i was becoming ready more and more every day to do especially as nobody ever now came down for porterage but i told the lady how hard it was to have formed such a valuable trade or you might say an institution and then to lose it all because of certain private enmities what she said or did hereon is strictly a family question and can in no way concern the public since i hauled my flag down and now i gain more insight into my great enemy's schemes and doings than i could have acquired while engaged so much at ferry for time allowed me to maintain that strict watch upon narnton court which was now become my duty as well as an especial pleasure for the following reason i began to see most clearly that the foul outrage upon my boat must have been perpetrated by one or both of those savage fellows who were employed as spies upon this great house from the landward side they must have forded the river which is not more than three feet deep in places when the tide is out and no floods coming down these two cunning barbarians came of course from the nympton rookery but were lodging for the present in a hole they had scooped for themselves in the loneliest part of Bronton Burrows. Of course they durst not go about in a peopled and civilized neighborhood with such an absence of apparel as they could indulge at home. Still they were unsightly objects, and decent people gave them a wide berth when possible. But my firm intention was to grapple with these savage scoundrels, and to prove at their expense what a civilized Welshman is, and how capable of asserting his commercial privileges. Only as they carried knives, I durst not meet them both at once, and even should I catch them singly, some care was advisable, so as take them off their guard, because I would not lower myself to the use of anything more barbarous than an honest cudgel however although i watched and waited and caught sight of them more than once especially at night-time when they roved most freely it was long before i found it prudent to bear down on the enemy not from any fear of them but for fear of slaying them as i might be forced to do if they rushed with steel at me one night after the turn of the days and with mild weather now prevailing and a sense of spring already fluttering in the valleys i sat in a dark embrasure at the end of narnton court there had been more light than usual in the windows of the great dining-room which now was very seldom used for hospitable purposes and now two gentlemen came forth as if for a little air to take a turn on the river terrace it did not cost me long to learn that one was good sir philip bamfylde and the other that very wicked chowne the latter had manifestly been telling some of his choicest stories and held the upper hand as usual general take my arm the flags are rough and the night is of the darkest you must gravel this terrace for the sake of your guests after your port wine dick said the general with a sigh for he was a most hospitable man and accustomed to the army dick thou hast hardly touched my port and i like not to have it slighted sir 
what excuse the parson made i did not hear but knew already that one of his countless villainies was his rude contempt of the gift of god as vouchsafed to noah and confirmed by the very first rainbow which continues the colours thereof up to this time of writing sir philip leaned on the parapet some twenty yards to windward of me and he sniffed the fine fresh smell of seaweed and sea-water coming up the river with a movement of four knots an hour and in his heart he thanked the lord very likely without knowing it then he seemed to sigh a little and to turn to chowne and say dick this is not as it should be look at all this place and up and down all this length of river every light you can see burning is in a house that longs to me and who is now to have it all it used to make me proud but now it makes me very humble you are a parson tell me dick what have i done to deserve it all the reverend richard stoyle chowne had not whatever his other vices were one grain of pious hypocrisy in all his foul composition if he had he might have flourished and with his native power must have been one of the foremost men of this or any other age but his but his pride allowed him never to let in pretense religion into the texture of his ways a worse man need not be desired and yet he did abhor all cant to such a degree that he made a mock of his own church services general i have naught to say you have asked this question more than once you know what my opinion is i know that you have the confidence sir every honourable man must have in my poor son's innocence you supported against every one against all the world against even you when you allow yourself to doubt it tush i would not think twice of it however many candles burn this was a touch of his nasty sarcasm which he never could deny himself up and down the valley general no son of yours however wild and troubled in expenditure could ever shape or even dream of anything dishonourable i hope not i hope to god not sir philip said with a little gasp as if he were fearing otherwise dick you are my godson and you have been the greatest comfort to me because you never would believe not another word general you must not dwell on this matter so the children were fine little dears of course very clever and very precious oh if you only knew the words dick my little granddaughter would come out with scarcely anything you could think of would have been too big for her little mouth and if she could not do it once she never let it till she did where it came from i could not tell for we are not great at languages but it must have been of her mother's race and the boy though not with gifts of that sort oh you ought to have seen his legs dick at least till he took the whooping cough the stately old gentleman leaned and dropped a tear perhaps into the river taw general i understand it all said chowne though he never had a child by reason of the almighty's mercy to the next generation of course these pretty children were a great delight to every one but affairs of this sort happen in all ancient families the mere extent of land appears to open for clandestine graves that wicked devilish story dick did you tell me or did you not to take it as the fiend's own lie a lie of course as concerns the captain from their want of knowledge but concerning someone else true enough i fear i fear both men had by this time very nearly said their say throughout the general seemed to be overcome and the parson to be growing weary of a subject often treated in discourse between them before you go in the morning dick said the old man now recovering i wish to consult you about a matter nearly concerning young isabel she is a distant cousin of yours you thoroughly understand the law of which i have very little knowledge perhaps you will meet me in the book-room for half an hour's quiet talk before we go to breakfast 
I cannot do it, Sir Philip. I have my own affairs to see to. I must be off when the moon is up. I cannot sleep in your house this night. End of chapter 39